Doesn't she do a great job? Amen. It is, uh, it is a good thing for a church to have youth that are engaged, not just showing up, but actually participating. We have them in the sound booth. We have them uh, playing, singing on the worship team, so it's, uh, it's always encouraging to have that. It's interesting uh, when Tim texted me, actually. I don't remember where I was at, though. I was probably at work. But he texted me and says, hey, would you be interested in doing uh, Father's Day sermon? I th- and I sure, why not? I'm, you know, wherever God leads, that's where you want to go, right? Yeah, well, about a, two weeks later, I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> but it is a privilege. It is a privilege to stand before you and, uh, and talk about fathers. Understand, too, that I didn't always get it right. I don't think any of us do, and not on this side of heaven. Um, and I think there's learning with our children when we don't get it right. The fact that we can go and ask for forgiveness or, you know, correct our mistakes, I think that's a learning opportunity for our kids. Now, we as fathers, you know, with our pride and strong will being, uh, most of the time don't like to admit we were wrong or don't like to even ask for directions, right? But I think that our children prosper from doing that. Now, in the moment, you don't see that, but afterwards you see it. And actually, more than that when they grow up and become adults, you see it, which is uh, what's really encouraging. So I have a few statistics. Did y'all see the statistics? Can't even say that word. Statistics before the service. Did you see them as they were rolling? All right. Well, Teresa and I determined that they probably weren't accurate. (laughs) As a dad, I'm like, there's no way I did that. It was like out of 10 years. I don't remember what it was, but they did it 39 times. Out of 10 years? Really? I was thinking, well, I didn't do it 39 times, maybe twice, whatever it was. I don't remember now, but we were talking about that. It may have been changing diapers. <laughs> but I have some, uh, some fun facts for Father's Day that I found, and it's from the Census Bureau, believe it or not, and I thought it was interesting. So I'm going to read some of this to you to kind of start. Um, the question of the day is really, what is fatherhood? What is that? Sometimes we throw fatherhood and father, the name of father, around quite a bit, or daddy, or, you know, dad. We throw that name around quite a bit, and I don't know, you know, we sometimes really think about what that means. We'll call our, we'll call God father, but do we know what that means? And if we've had a bad father experience here on earth, then that term can take on a whole different meaning when we use it for God. And so there's a lot of issues there. And in America, we have some issues, and I'm going to talk about that. But the fun facts is this. Does anybody know where Father's Day came from? Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't either. I'll just tell you, I didn't. I had to read. (laughs) So Father's Day, the idea of Father's Day was conceived more than a century ago by Sonora Dodd of Spokane, Washington. Dodd wanted a special day to honor her father, William Smart, a widowed Civil War veteran who was left to raise his six children on a farm. June 19th was chosen for the first day's uh, celebration in 1910. Father's Day has been celebrated annually since 1972 when President Richard Nixon signed the public law that made it permanent. I thought that was interesting. I was alive during Richard Nixon. (laughs) I was like, like, what? I don't remember that, but that was an interesting little fact. So here's some interesting gifts for Dad. So does anybody know the number of sporting goods stores that allow good idea and a good place to get Father's Day? Anybody? Idea? 22,000 sporting goods stores to go buy gifts from. The number of hardware stores. Anybody got an idea of how many hardware stores? 15,000. <laughs> How many uh, clothing stores? 7,000. Now, look at the ratio. 22,000, 15,000, oh, 7,000. What do fathers normally get for Father's Day? Hats, ties, socks, clothing. <laughs> I didn't get a jigsaw, I, you know, none of that stuff. Anyway, I don't need a jigsaw, but... Um, Here's some numbers. Um, services for dads. 102,000 landscaping services to come mow dad's yard. 
81,000 automotive repair to fix dad's car. 5,000 barber shops to give him a haircut. I thought those were interesting. Although I'm not sure how many people actually give their dad like, oh, here's a certificate, go get your car fixed. That's usually not a Father's Day present. 72 million number of fathers across the nation in the United States. 72 million. 29 million who are also grandfathers. 25 million are living, are fathers living in married coupled families. 2 million are single fathers. And 190,000 are stay at home dads. Those are a lot of numbers. Those are a lot of numbers. Those are in the millions, not just a few hundred. So Webster defines fatherhood as a male parent, a man who has begotten a child. You know, there's a lot of fathers, but not a lot of daddies. Big difference. Big difference. So let's look at a few other uh, statistics. These statistics are a little more difficult. So this is a father absence in America. When fathers are absent in America, children are four times greater risk of being in poverty. When they're absent, they're seven times more likely to become this in pregnancy, meaning the girl's pregnant or the boy has caused the pregnancy. Children. When father's absent, it's more likely to have behavioral problems. When a father's absent, it's more likely to face abuse or neglect. When a father's absent, it's two times greater risk of infancy mortality. That's what I said, Teresa. Hmm. It's odd, but there's an impact. When a father's absent, it's more likely to abuse, the child is more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. When a father's absent, the child's more likely to go to prison. When a father is absent, it's two times more likely to suffer obesity. When a father is absent, the child is more likely to commit a crime. And when a father's absent, it is two times more likely to drop out of school, the child will. Those are some staggering statistics when you start looking and you compare that to how many fathers in America today are not involved with their children. And when I say an absent father, that father may be living at home but has nothing to do with the children, ignoring the children, or completely missing, has left the home. Or is still maybe in their life, but isn't doing a whole lot for them, but isn't in the home either. So there's a lot of consequences in America to children when fathers are absent. That just tells you the importance of a father with their children. I can't emphasize this enough. So a little bit about me so you understand why or maybe how I got to some of this. So I've been coming to Grace Church for about... 25 years in March, April, May, June, four months. So how I know that is my daughter was born the month we started going here, and she's 25 and four months, so it's easy for me to kind of remember. So in the 25 years, I'm actually in my second marriage. Karen and I got married eight years ago. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> um, so, and it's, it's been wonderful. I, I couldn't have asked for a better wife or partner and what I do and would have never even thought that this kind of relationship exists. So many of you that's in my transformation class kind of know my history a little bit and my testimony, but I think it's important because the way I father is because of my life, because of what I've experienced through my life. It's not a book I read somewhere, although I've read a lot of books. I have a master's degree in psychology. I've read on what to do. I'm going to give you a few things today that has to do with psychology and raising kids. But important pieces is, is going through a divorce was a huge impact into my life. Both being a man, being a husband, being single, and being a father. Because I didn't realize how much I needed my daughter to help me with my identity and my security of who I am. Now, that's a lot to put on a 14-year-old. That's a lot. 
And fortunately, I had some wisdom poured into me by other men, which is an important piece of this, by the way, that allowed me to be me, but yet also kept me out of the ditch, kept me on the road to being healed, to bring wholeness, to bring value to my life and to people around me. I can honestly say that I would absolutely not be in this church or standing up here or playing guitar if it wasn't for them. It took men to help me. It took men in my life that were willing to speak into my life on how to be a man, how to ask for forgiveness, how to forgive, and how to be a father. Because I had lost that. And if it wasn't for God's intervention in my life at that time with those men, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where I'd have been. I'd have probably been an angry man someplace alone, angry at the world. But because of what God was able to do with those men in my life, it made a difference. And I, I can't emphasize this. We men need men. Masculinity is passed on by masculinity. It is not something that we can read about. It's not something we can watch a video or a movie about. It's not something I can get from my mother or my grandmother or my sister or my aunts or my daughter. I have to get it from a man. And I can tell you, I'm going to tell you a little secret, and men know this. We may not even realize we know it. But we're in a group of men, of men. Every man in that group knows who's a man in that group. We don't even have to say anything. We just know because it's built into us, the chemistry, that we will know that this is a man. And we will know when there's a man in that group is not a man. That may not be his fault, but we know that he's not acting as a man. And we don't, it's subconsciously we know this. God has wired us this way. So it's important that we are always around men in our lives so that we are checking and balancing who we are. We may joke around a lot and we may kid each other a lot, but at the end of the day, there's going to be respect for each other. We give it freely to other men until they disrespect, and then we don't respect them anymore. So I'm going to give you a few more statistics here that I thought was interesting. Now, this is what fathers say about being a father. Percentage of fathers saying parenting is extremely important to their identity. Moms is 58%, but dads is 57%. Now, that's interesting because we as men know that being a father is part of who we are. We recognize it. Psychologists will even say that the percentage, how, let me read it word for it. It says, it is more important for new babies to have more time to bond with mothers, it's 27%. Fathers alone, 2%. Both parents, 71%. Now, this tells us that how important it is to have a two-parent family that's interacting equally with the child. Remember the statistics I read earlier? It's to help prevent that. When asked fathers about their percentage of fatherhood, 90% said being a father is their greatest joy. And I would agree. 85% said being a father is the best job in the world. 73% of the dads said their lives began when they became a dad. <laughs> I'll come back to that. It's, pretty, it's kind of funny. Average number of hours per week... Caring for a child by a father. Anybody have a guess from 1965? No, that's not the hours, but how many hours a week in 1965? Anybody got a guess? 2.5. How many in 2018? Eight. That's, that's four times almost. So what does that tell us today about what fathers think? It's important. Fathers today believe that their children are important to them. Parenting is caught. It's not taught. We spend more time teaching people how to drive than how to be a parent. We'll send them to class. They'll have classes in high school. They'll have classes in college. We can teach them to be a race car driver. Everybody here could drive down in Sebring 
for the races. There's a school down there that you can go down there and pay. You can put on a fireproof suit, and you can go race around the, the track. But we don't have a lot of parenting classes. Matter of fact, when you get divorced, they force you to take a parenting class that tells you how not to involve your child in the divorce. I'm summarizing that. But it's not even eight hours. It's like two hours, and that's about it. We don't get training on how to be a parent or how to be a dad. So those were some interesting statistics. 52% of the dads indicate showing more affection. Now, this goes to how dads viewed their parents parenting them. It says 52% indicated showing more affection than they received from their parents. That's pretty interesting, too. 47% of the dads participate in more playtime and quality time than their parents. Remember that statistics from 65 that the dads only had two and a half hours a week? It's showing up. 46% read more to their children than their parents did. And 54% of the dads tell their children they love them than their parents did. Those are all so important to spend time, quality time, not just sitting around and watching TV together, but actually doing something together. Here's some quotes I want to give you that I thought were interesting. First one's from Mark Twain. and I resonated with this quite a bit. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so uh, ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around me. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> that was me. I was like that. Another one from George Herbert in 1640. One father is more than a hundred schoolmasters. Phillips uh, Whitmore, Sr., any fool can be a father, but it takes a real man to be a daddy. And Jim uh, Balvino, my father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give another. He believed in me. Those Those are some valuable statements that I think that we should take to heart. The conclusion of this is, I think that fathers truly deep down inside love their children, the majority of them. Now, we have some fathers that obviously are fathers uh, and don't need to be fathers. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that they should be. But I also believe in the sovereignty of God. Those children are here for a purpose. We have no right to take the life of a child regardless. Whether it's in the womb or out, it doesn't matter. God has ordained that. But this is not about that. (laughs) This is about being a dad. So back to my story. Uh, My first wife and I got married. We went about two or three years before we had Rachel, uh, which is, you know, I'm going to refer to Karen and I having children. So understand it's a blended family. She has two daughters. I have one daughter. And my daughter's the middle daughter of the three. Our oldest daughter has a son, which is our grandson. He is six, Liam. Um, And that's the do-over for us. We get to take him and do what we want and then give him back. And we feed him candy and cake and, you know, he gets dirty. We send him home. It's all good. (laughs) Uh, And if you're a grandfather, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You can have some fun and then send him back. Anyway, we got married um, thinking life was going to be great. It was. uh, We had some issues within our life over the course of years that we ended up getting divorced after 18 years of marriage. Uh, My daughter was about 14 at the time, I think, 13, somewhere in there. Um, And we were going to Grace at the time, and I was a leader here. So some of you that's been here a while kind of know this story. Teresa was here, and David and Kim and Mom. (laughs) Uh, Y'all were here to know, and it was a tough, tough time. Um, business, I owned my own company for about 13 years doing communications um, and had to shut the company, well, decided to shut the company now so we wouldn't argue about it or try to deal with it through the court system. Through that time, it was difficult in how to deal with Rachel because I had been taking, we called it lifetime guarantee back in that day, but it's transformation, and I understood the principles of how to raise a child by loving her but not loving her actions, disciplining her based on her actions. Now, how to deal with that in my own divorce 
in my own troubles I was going through. And understand, I don't blame my ex-wife for the divorce. It's both of our responsibility. I take just as much responsibility in my divorce as I would say she needs to take. But at the end of the day, I can't do anything about what she says or how she acts. It's only what I say and what I act that I can do or I can take responsibility for. So I choose not to have dialogue with my daughter about her mother. You understand? Because it would be easy for me to blame, to make myself feel better. So in my fatherhood, I had to put Rachel way before how I was feeling or how much pain I was suffering at the time. And that's difficult. Very, very difficult. Um, There was one point, (laughs) Shelby was involved in this, which uh, is our oldest daughter from uh, Shelby and Rachel were really good friends. That's how Karen and I, or Karen knew my family, uh, which is another miracle in itself. Someday when we talk about marriage, I'll give that testimony. But <clears throat> she still married me, by the way. <laughs> she knew everything about me, which, which was a godsend. Um, but she, Rachel was at the house one day in my apartment, and Shelby was over. And Shelby talked Rachel into saying, hey, I want to go stay with Rachel. I want to go stay with Shelby on my weekend. Now, let me tell you something. I would fight and kill to have Rachel with me on my weekends. I was not willing to give any of that up. So Rachel and I had a little bit of discussion. And if you've ever been divorced, what I'm about to say, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Because I think we all go through this. And those of you that haven't been divorced, praise God that you don't have to go through this. Is I sat there in my own insecurities expecting Rachel to want to be with me and stay with me to build me up, and yet she wanted to go somewhere else. Now, let me tell you something. That hurts. So I had to tell her, look, as for me and my house, we're going to follow what God says. So what you do at your mother's is what you do at your mother's. But for here, I am the boss of this house. I am the one that provides for you and protects you and I love you. Now, you can go over to Karen's house, because that's where they were going, was actually to Karen's house. Uh, or you can stay here. I'll leave it up to you. But I want you to understand, as for me and my house, this is where we stand. And I'm going to discipline you as I need to, because I'm not going to play these games with you. So you need to understand that this was not planned. You're with your mother, you know, 80 hours in a week, and you're with me, basically three days. So she ended up going, by the way. <laughs> but, but I had to draw the line in the sand, and that was very, very difficult because of the insecurities of myself. But I had to put my fatherhood ahead of my own insecurities. That's a tough place to be. This is where transformation's real, by the way, is I had to say, okay, God, this is who I am in you. I don't need Rachel to to give me my identity. I don't need my daughter to validate or value me, even though I want it. Don't get me wrong. We want that, but that's not what I need to tell me who I am. I needed God the Father to do that, and that was a hard lesson at that time because of the insecurities. Another one is when Rachel was born, and I'm not sure how many, most of you probably have children in here. For you guys that don't have children, just sit back, relax. If you go to sleep, I'm okay with it, by the way. So I won't wake you. Um, I remember when I had Rachel, or when Rachel was born, I sat, I was, I was 21, no, 24, 25. I don't know, somewhere in there. <laughs> I remember sitting there looking at this baby that was about the size of this microphone, thinking that child will not survive without me. And the reality of that washed over me. to sit there and understand that God has now entrusted me with this person's life was powerful. I sat in that delay. I still weep because I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that kind of trust in God to my life. To have a child completely dependent upon me. That child doesn't even know God. That child can't even pray to God for help. 
It's me. I am now that child's God, with a small g, that it's provider, it's protector, to show compassion and mercy and grace, to be its teacher, to love it unconditionally. I knew what that meant standing there. I still know what that means. What's interesting is she's 25. It's hard to believe that you can raise a child as the baby like a bread loaf. And now it's 25 years old and is able to make her own decisions, is engaged to be married, is moving away 1,200 miles or probably 2,000 miles, has, a, has gone to college, got a degree, got a great job, got a great fiancé. I got two, I, no, I got three grand dogs. I mean, life's good. But I just hope you understand being a father is responsible. It's taking on that responsibility of raising that child into God. Not just raising it. Not just providing food and shelter and maybe hold it every now and then or change a diaper. But it's to look at that child as God's creation that has been entrusted to you. Which takes it much deeper of a relationship with God than I ever had up to that point. So when, when I teach transformation, I teach from that perspective. Another aspect that I never realized until I did this sermon actually was... I'm a father out of my manhood. I can't be a dad. I, I don't know any other way to look at this. I had joked with Tim about a week ago. I said, okay, so here's how it works. I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, okay, so about two-thirds of you men are going to listen to me. And the women are going to go, well, he's teaching about fatherhood. I'm a, I'm a w- woman. How do I know? So I was going to say, okay, all the women and a third of the men could leave. I'll just talk to a two-thirds of the men. I'm not really doing that. I was just joking about it. But... To understand that I father our daughters out of being a man. I know no other way. I, I don't even know what it would look like not to do that. I don't even consciously make that decision. It just happens. So it was funny, years ago when Rachel was, oh, she had to be about six. We used to get on the floor and wrestle. I would roll around with her and she'd just laugh and I'd tickle her and we'd have fun and we were roughhousing. I mean, I don't know how she didn't come out with a concussion sometimes. I, sometimes you don't realize it as a man how hard you are sometimes. And they need to be able to bounce well because of the way life is. But we had a... <laughs> just saying. <laughs> but we, we had a great time. But that was raising her in the manhood of who I was, of being rough with her at times and playing with her. And even today, I think... If you know Rachel, she's, she's a pretty tough girl. I, my money's on her if we're going into some... I mean, I want her on my back. I don't, I don't want her against me. And I would say that that's because of my, my part of raising her. Now, her mother's done a good job, too. Karen has done a good job with her as a stepmother. But just understand that fathers father out of their manhood. And maybe the question is, how's their manhood? Were they ever taught to be a man? Are they around men to be able to father that way? And, and I know that's a hard concept maybe to get, especially as a woman maybe. But I would say you men that are fathers are fathering out of your manhood. It's okay to be rough for your kids at times. Sometimes they need that. Sometimes they need a smacking around, right? <laughs> Sometimes you need to wrestle with them. Sometimes you need to take them down a notch or two. And then sometimes you need to encourage them and hug them and love on them a little bit. You know, I love that last saying. He says, the Father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give a person. Believed in me. That's powerful coming from a father. It's to believe in their children. I also will say this, men. This isn't about fatherhood. This is about being a husband. Believe in your wives. Because they'll make great mothers. When we don't believe in our wives, now we jeopardize the children from that aspect. 
we are key to this family. God has put us in charge of the family. He's going to hold us accountable for the family. And we need to treat our wives with love and compassion and counsel. And one of the things that I truly believe is that our daughters understand what a relationship looks like based on our relationship. It's caught, not taught. Again, we don't have classes on getting married. Now, you might go to some counseling. I'm looking at these two because they're getting married next Saturday. We may, they may go to some counsel, counseling classes to say, okay, what does it look like to get married? And you talk about finances. You talk about how to socially be. You talk about sex. You talk about living together. You talk about blended families with kids on both sides. You talk about those things, so there's no surprises. But at the end of the day, we're not really telling them how to live together. We're telling them how to cope with each other. And that's a tough place to be. So understand that to demonstrate to our daughters and our grandson how to live is going to be based on how we treat each other, how we support each other. We can have an argument or a disagreement, but we shouldn't be doing that in front of the children as much. Now, they're all adults, except for obviously Liam's not. But the three girls are adults, so now it's okay to have some of that so she, they can see that interaction. It's very critical. This, I wish fatherhood was simple. <laughs> it is not simple, and it is not easy in this society. It is very difficult to teach your children to love God with everything they have, to be obedient to God with everything they have. That is so difficult, and we can't just give it lip service. We have to be doing. Now, fortunately, we're men, and we do. That's part of what we are. we got to go do something. So we can be examples to our children. That will speak louder than any word we can give them. What are we doing? If I want to know how good a man is, all i got to do is look at his children. If they've been abused, if they've been abandoned, or if they're happy and joyful, if they're obedient to God's word, then they've been raised up. Now, I know that there's some families in here that have adopted. Let me tell you something. you got a lot of guts. I, I don't have that. And I appreciate the fact that, there's, that God has placed that into your hearts to take somebody else's child into your home and try to help give them guidance. That is powerful. And I pray for you all the time that God's grace fills you because that's his power to make a change in that child's life. And as fathers, I understand stepfatherhood. I am one. I have two daughters. It is very difficult to be a stepfather. Very difficult. Because you have children in your home now that do not look at you as a father. They look at you as a problem. Because I've taken 100% of her time away from them now. She puts me first, which she should. I'm now her husband. I'm over them in priorities. And they don't like that. Now, our oldest daughter, I think I do pretty well with. I think we, her and I bonded before we ever started dating. So Shelby and I kind of have a relationship back to when Rachel and some of the youth would go out and do things. Lainey's a different story, though. Lainey didn't like me from day one. So... But I would say, out of the eight years that we've been married, there has been probably three or four times that something critical has happened to Lainey in her life, and she'll come to me and tell me first. To me, that shows the value that I have in her eyes, that I'm going to be fair and impartial to her initially. Now, of course, what I tell her is, okay, you have a day or two to tell your mother or I'm telling her. But I've also told her that I would go with her to tell her mother. So she knows her and I may argue like cats and dogs at times, and I'm getting my way, especially in my house. Some of you men know what I'm talking about. But she still honors and loves me. You know, it's, we have a love-hate relationship, maybe is the way you want to put it. But it's still good. I still care about her greatly and love her and hope the best for her. So let me move on. So the first slide, if 
you guys will flip. I've been kind of out of order, so they've probably been like, what? One of the things that fathers, this goes to our transformation class, is identity. The father is really responsible for giving the identity to the children. Um, it is very powerful. The, the, the um, Mark one eleven, which I think they have on the screen. And a voice came from heaven. And this is God talking to Jesus, his son. It says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. <clears throat> we as fathers should take that as an example of speaking to our children who they are. That we love them. I should be able to go to my daughter and say, I love you. Now, I should be able to stand up here and tell you that I love them, even if, if they were here. But I really need to go to them in their face and say, I love you. So that they hear me speak to them intimately and tell them that I love them. It's powerful for little girls to know their fathers love them. Rachel came to me when she was probably about 8 or 10. Now, she would do this quite a bit, but I didn't recognize it until after I was, I was, she was much older. She kind of does this every now and then. And, and the other two will do it when they're, like, at home or something. <clears throat> but she came to me. She goes, hey, Daddy, what do you think of my dress? Now, most men would be going, she's talking about the dress, and the dress looks great. She's, that's not what she's asking. What she's asking is, what do you think about me? As a little girl, she wanted to know what I thought about her. And, of course, my reply was, fortunately, I learned this early, wasn't your dress looks great. My reply was, you look beautiful in that dress. Little girls want to know, and I would even venture to say, 40, 50, 60-year-old women want to know that they're beautiful. So we as husbands should be telling our wives and our daughters, regardless of the age, that they're beautiful. Because it's part of their identity. It's part of who they are. And let me tell you something, men. If you are not setting the identity of your daughters, somebody else will. Because it's built into them to need that. Remember, I'm my daughter's small g God until they come to know God. Now, it's my responsibility to introduce them to God. But I'm providing their identity until they recognize their identity comes from God the Father, not Jim the Father. So if we don't do it, the world will. And the world will tell them they're an object. The world will tell them that you're only as good as you can perform, whatever that is. The world will tell them as once you get too old, your value is not as good. You won't look as good. You won't act as good. You won't sound as good. That's not the message we want to tell them. The message is, you're beautiful in my eyes unconditionally. You do not have to act a certain way to have my love. My love and acceptance of you is not conditional. Now, I discipline out of not... Not liking their actions, but still loving them, which is a transformational idea as well. I can love you and not like your actions. So I'm going to punish you because of your actions, not because of who you are. The other kind of tidbit, this is the psychology side of me, is they need to understand why they're getting punished. Sometimes kids don't know why they're getting punished. Liam at times, now he's six years old, he may like, okay, I'm getting punished, but I don't know why. So it's good to have them repeat back why. Even our daughters... Being adults, not that we spank them, although they may need it every now and then, but we still need to have them repeat back why we're doing what we're doing. Because there's times we have to draw a line in the sand, even as adults, that we're not going to put up with that behavior. You cannot be in my house acting that way or talking that way. I'm not going to have it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to love you. Doesn't mean I'm not going to accept you as my daughter, but I'm not accepting your behavior or your words. So if you're going to continue, you'll need to leave. Let me tell you something, that will speak volumes to them about who they are as children. Um, we talked about girls a little bit. There's another piece of psychology, which I'm actually using on Liam now, just so you know. Um, masculinity is passed on by masculinity. I've talked about this already. Little boys need to know who they are because of the way fathers treat them as men. 
They can't treat them like their mother or their grandmother or their sister. or co- That's ridiculous. Be a man and treat children as a man would treat children. Now, there's, there's, there's levels. You can't like, you know, I can't take a six-year-old and throw him as far as I can and think he's going to be okay. <clears throat> can't do that. It's age-specific. But there is a way to treat a little boy so that he understands he's a boy, he's a man. He's going to grow up to be a man. There's an expectation of what he's going to be someday as a father based on how we father. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of psychology here just very briefly. Eric Erickson is one of the psychologists in the 60s, 50s, 60s that developed the <clears throat> nine levels, I think it was nine, Yeah, there's nine levels. There was eight originally, but there's nine now of how children develop. And uh, I wish I'd have known this when I had it. I'm using this now on Liam, but I wish I'd have had it when I had kids. And Tim, you probably already know this, I would hope. I hope you already know this. (laughs) Tim works in healthcare, so. First one is hope that children have. And it's usually tied to the mother, and it's in between infancy and two years. And this is where trust and mistrust is developed in the first two years of life. What I usually tell parents at this level is if that child is crying, pick them up and hold them. Draw them to you. Do not leave them because now they're going to think abandonment, the child. And you wouldn't think this as a, a newborn, but that's what happens. That's what's instilled in them. So you want them to trust. So hold them. Pick them up. It's okay. If you'll hold them the first six months to two years of their life, you won't have to hold them again because they'll... They'll be secure in who they are. Now, it doesn't mean you won't hold them, but it won't be that they need their identity that way. Second one is will. This is autonomy versus shame. This is from two to four years. This is where parenting is so important as a couple, is that this is where we start instilling. This is, uh, let me get my other page here. This is uh, potty training and learning to clothe themselves. Let a, you know what? If they get different colored socks at three years old, who cares? Let them, you don't have, they're not a fashionista. Let them wear whatever. Let them choose, and then let them live with it, and then still love and accept them no matter what they choose. Number three is purpose. This is, uh, purpose is basically a family where you have brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, all part of this purpose. Um, this is between ages five and eight. This is uh, initiative versus guilt. <clears throat> uh, a lot of times, too, this is... Uh, where they'll start exploring. It's interesting to watch a little boy. Liam does this, by the way. I noticed it. We'll be out in the backyard messing around or something. Initially, he would go out about as far as he could and still see us and explore and then come back. He wouldn't go like around the corner or nothing where he couldn't see us. He's starting to go around the corner now where he doesn't have to see us because he's built that within himself because of his experiences. And as parents, if we know this about our children, the thing I want to say, too, that if this gets wrong in here, God still can heal. I don't want to sit here and say, you got to do all this right, and it's up to you. It's, it's not. It's really up to God working through us to have this kind of information. Number uh, four, yep, competence. This is being industry, industrial versus inferiority, and this is between 9 and 12 years old. This is, uh, this is really where sports and school community comes into play into a child's life. And again, this is neighbors and school, so we, we as parents need to support this activity, not keep it down. Now, they may not be very sport conscious. Maybe they want to be in the chess club. That's okay. Let them be in the chess club. Um, next one is uh, fidelity. This is identity versus role confusion. This is between 13 and 19. Um, this is where they're really trying to understand who they are in social settings. So peers mean a lot to them. This is teenagers trying to deal with peers. And we all, if you've had teenagers in your life, praise God you survived. I, if it was up to me, at least with one of our daughters, I would have just put her in a box and fed her every day and let her out when she was 19 or 20 and been better probably. So she's not, I would tell her that too, by the way. I'm not talking behind her back. I'd tell her that. But that's a tough year. The teen years are very difficult. Um, The next one is love. This is intimacy versus isolation. And this is between ages 20 and 39. 
Uh, so if, you're, if you have children between 20 and 39, you're about my age. Uh, our children are 27 through 21 next month, right? Man, I'm glad I got these numbers. I didn't write that down either. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so we have children in this age range that we're trying to uh, work with. Um, the next age is care, uh, which is between, this is uh, generosity versus stagnation. It's 40 through 59, and then wisdom is 69 and up. And then <clears throat> they've kind of redone this a little bit. There's a psychosocial crisis, and this is where they start going backwards as we are up in age, above our 70s. All this goes backwards. So when you think about it, we start out in diapers, and we may end up in diapers. But emotionally, we kind of go backwards as well. So I don't know if that helps anybody, but it helped me when I learned it and how to deal with some of the stuff I was going through with, our, with my stepchildren, her daughters. And I've, hopefully it helped her dealing with my daughter. And now we have a grandson, so we have a do-over, so, which is great. So... There were three things, you can go on to the next slide. There were three things that I, as a father, needed to do. One was identity, which we really talked about. The next one is provider, and the last one is protector. Those are the three things that were very critical for me to learn. That, And I also think that as parents, as a father, I'm glad I didn't start with a teenager or a 12-year-old. I started with an infant. So as an infant learned to crawl and walk and dress themselves and be social, I learned to parent. My parenting skills matured as the child matured. That's the natural way. So, again, I take my hat off to parents that end up bringing children into their home that are like teenagers or 12 years older. That's a tough place because now you've got to be a parent to a grown, almost a grown person that has all these issues possibly I really, I really admire those people that can adopt because that's a tough place. So provider, you go ahead and do the Philippians 4.19. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Love and compassion as a father. Unconditional. You know, we can read um, 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. The one that I really pulled out was Psalms 103.13. It says, As a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him or respect him. I thought that was very powerful. I'm also my children's counselor. Now, I naturally do that. And they don't sometimes want to hear me counsel them. They don't like my counsel at times. But I'm the dad. I get to say the counsel, especially in my house. See, so I I pull rank and and space on them. If they don't want to hear it, they can leave. Uh, But most of them do want to hear it's interesting, when Rachel went to college, she went to FSU, she, she, I talked to her, I think, twice a day for the first year while she was in college. She's living on her own, first time. She was 18 years old, and she would ask me some of the craziest things. But it was with the counsel and the, the hearing of my voice that she needed, and I understood that. So I called her twice a, a day, and finally got down to once a day, and then twice a week, and then... Once a week, now it's once every six weeks, maybe, and she's 25 now, so she's on her own. You know, she's confident in who she is. Um, I think you hear from Shelby a couple times a week and Lainey once a day. So it's about where they are in their ages, so it's interesting to watch that. Uh, I do hear from Shelby probably once every two weeks, but it's usually because she wants to borrow something, which is fine. Um, discipline. Discipline's huge. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. <clears throat> Finances, obviously. Uh, if you've got children, you're broke. That's all there is to it. Especially David and Kim, my heart goes to you guys. You've got... How many kids you get? Five? Six. Six. Let that settle on some of y'all for a minute. (laughs) Six. And five are girls. And one little boy that's six, right? We need to have prayer service just for them. That's all I got to say. 
that settles on me at times when I see that. Now, I would say this, that my heart warms to see their girls so involved in this church and what they do, though. See, that's, that's raising your children into the Lord. So, um, home, always having a place that they can come back to. Always having a, I remember when I was, when I went through my divorce, I went back home to see my mom and stayed for two months, I think. It's important to always have a place that they can come back to that they can call home. Uh, marriage, I think this is, I've already talked a little bit about this, about being, providing that, that example of a relationship that's healthy. Um, and then time, putting my time. Deuteronomy 6, 6-7 says, These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. <clears throat> this is God talking to us. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Now, think about that for a minute. There's a lot there about when you're supposed to put these things into your children and teach them. It wasn't one hour a day. It was as you go, as you're spending time with your children, you're instilling into them these commandments of God. That means you've got to spend time with them. You can't mail it to them. Email doesn't work. Let me, I said this to our youngest daughter years ago. I said, look, you can't have a relationship with somebody by texting and emailing. You've got to be face-to-face. I, I, and trust me, I'm in an industry. I'm in IT. I work on technology, and we use email all the time, and we text all the time. But it takes face-to-face communication to have real relationship. And it takes time to have that real relationship. And it's okay to spend that time. At the end of the day, when we're laying in our deathbeds, I am not going to say, I wish I'd have sent that email. Hmm. Or I wish I'd have made that text. I won't even think about that. So, we need to keep our priorities straight. And our children need to be above, in a high priority, above mostly everything else. Children need to be above everything except her and God. That's it. Everything else should fall under that, including our jobs, men. So, all right. The last one is protector. So if you guys will put that up there, protecting our children. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. <clears throat> to me, this is one of the most important pieces That's being a father. Rachel, um, when she was about 8 or 10, she wanted to go over to a friend's house and spend the night. And the friend had asked her, I don't know, half a dozen times. And I kept saying no. One day, Rachel came to her. She goes, well, what have I done? What do I need to do? Am I not, you know, she was taking it on herself. I said, Rachel, it's not you. I don't trust their family. I had to protect her from others. Rachel's a great daughter. And she was a good daughter when she was a little girl. She spoiled me by being such a good kid. But I absolutely protected her. Their father, the other home, their father was an alcoholic and I knew had been abusive. And I absolutely was not going to subject her to that. Now, that's tough to tell your daughter. Now, I didn't tell her all of that, obviously. But that's the, the mind you have to have as a father. I also had to protect her against me. Remember I told you early on in the story that I had this need of identity, of security in myself, that I needed my daughter's approval in time when I was going through a divorce? I had to protect her from that. That's another place. It's very difficult for us as men to humble ourselves and say, I need to protect my children from me, from my own interests, from my own sin, from my own insecurities. You know, there's times we've got to protect our children against society, the world. The world would love to dictate to our kids who they are. Can't allow that. We need to reinforce who they are, not social mechanisms or the news. None of that should be dictating who we are as men, who we are as believers, and who we are as fathers. We need, and we need to be telling our children who they are based on who Christ is in their life. 
the other thing, um, I never wanted Rachel to feel abandoned. And I don't want our other two daughters to feel abandoned as well. Because we're raised where we need love and acceptance. That's, how, that's what's instilled in us. God put that in us. Now, we should be getting that from him. But until we know him, we go everywhere else to get it. So I needed to make sure that Rachel never felt abandoned. So I would, this is, my thinking was, I always showed up early to pick her up. Because I never wanted her to feel abandoned. I always wanted to reassure in her that I was there for her. Which is why I called her two times a day when she went to college. So she wouldn't feel abandoned. Now today, I don't hear from her but every six weeks probably or four weeks. And I have to call her. She doesn't call me. But... I, I take that as she doesn't feel abandoned. She's confident in who she is now. She's not abandoned, so she doesn't have to talk to me. And the other thing is, is I'm always there for her to talk to. So in protecting her, I need to be available. Where she knows she can call me. No matter, She could call me right now, and I'd have to tell you all to hold on a minute. I need to talk to her. She needs to know that she's that important. Now, she doesn't need to be more important than Karen, and she doesn't need to be more important than God himself in my life, but she needs to know that she's valued. As my daughter, she needs to know she's valued. As Shelby and Lanny, as my stepdaughters, they need to know that I value them because that will determine who they marry and how they do their life, how they run their life, how they raise their children how they interact with a congregation, with society around them, how much of an impact they'll make in the people around them. It's how much do they feel valued. And it really starts with the Father. We as men have a great responsibility fathering children. Matter of fact, I would say that it is the most important responsibility that we have because we should raise them up into God. If I can't witness to my own children, then why am I out witnessing in the street? It needs to start in my home. It needs to start with my own children that I'm witnessing to and telling them who Jesus Christ is in my life, who Jesus Christ is in their life. It needs to start there, not out here. So I even think in 1 Timothy, it talks about the qualifications to be an elder or a deacon is to have your home in order. This is part of that. That doesn't mean that your children are perfect. Don't get me wrong. We, we don't have perfect children. I mean, my children might be perfect. but <laughs> We don't have perfect children. But what it means is, is there needs to be an order into my home. When those children come in there, they know that. And they act accordingly, at least in our house. And I would say we've drawn the line several times with our girls. And it was hard. Very difficult. Let me tell you something. Parenting is not meant to be alone. So you single parents, you got a lot going on. My mom was a single parent. I don't know how she lived through me. I was not an easy son to raise. I don't know if you can believe that or not. I wasn't. Um, But she did. And, you know, at the end of the day, I honored her for taking care of me. So the last scripture... Uh, that I want to read to you. Tim, you can probably come up. We're going, to have, we're going to pray for fathers here in a minute. Proverbs 20, uh, chapter, or ch- chapter 20, verse 7 says, A righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Proverbs 23, 24, The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. And then Psalms 127, 3 through 5 says, Children are heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents. It is a blessing to have children. It was a blessing to me to become a father. And I would say it is one of the most important jobs and responsibilities that I have is to be a father. Now, interesting, I also believe as a community, we men 
our fathers to these children that sit in the back, whether you fathered them or not. It's a community of fathers. And we have great responsibility to protect, provide, and give identity to our children back there. So don't take it lightly. Be a man. Take your responsibility. Interact with your children. Have fun with them. Be with them and your grandchildren as well. A grandchild, Liam is so so much fun to have around. It is a joy to watch him, especially with our dog. They're like two of the same age. But it is great to have grandchildren. It is a blessing from God to have kids and grandkids around you. So pray for that. So what I want to do is I want to have the fathers, if you will, we're going to pray. Uh, You can play whatever you want. Um, I want you fathers to stand. And what we're going to do is families gather around your, your dads or your husbands. Uh, if there's somebody here that doesn't have their family here, get around them. Put some hands on them. I don't mean smack them either. Uh, but put some hands around them, and we're going to pray. It's Father's Day, and we need, as a father, I need your prayer. I need your strength. <clears throat> I need my brothers to be with me. We stand together. We don't stand alone. So if you're a dad, 